The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon everybody. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier. And it's uh, September 14th. I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend, and I'm really looking forward to introducing our uh, our guest for today's show. The title of our show today is Behind the Wall, the True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. Our guests today are Mary Whittyfield and Ellen Whittyfield, and they're going to be talking primarily about parents and the feelings of isolation, learning to cope and manage through chaos and grief, and, and finally on to recovery. They're going to speak about what goes on behind the walls of homes that often uh, does not get disclosed to professionals, friends, and neighbors. The advice to parents by other parents is about self-care, accessing help for their adult children and for themselves, and reckoning with a new normal for their child and for their family. Uh, Mary Whittefield received her MA in English writing from San Francisco State University, where she received the Wilner Award for short fiction. Mary's fiction and essays have appeared in Transfer Magazine, San Francisco Chronicle, and Able Muse. Mary's a grant writer for nonprofits, and she lives in North Carolina with her husband and two children. I'm sorry, uh, Northern California with her husband and two children. Ellen Whittyfield received her MA in counseling from Tufts University and completed an externship in family therapy at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Center. She's worked extensively with adolescents, families, young adults, and sexual assault survivors. Ellen has documented oral histories, including life experiences of combat veterans. And she resides in North Carolina, where she's on the boards of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and the University of North Carolina Center for Excellence in Community Mental Health. She's also the mother of two sons. So Mary and Ellen, I really want to welcome you to the show this afternoon, and thank you for, uh, for agreeing to be with us today. Thanks so much. You're welcome. So... Um, Let's talk about, let's get right to behind the wall. What a, what a first of all, very compelling uh, collection of stories and experiences. Uh, and and the, the subtitle to, to the book is The True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. And um, I just want to say, you know, sort of thank you first for putting, putting these together and uh, being able to offer the world the view from, from parents of what it's like to you know, have a child who has a mental illness. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so, um, I, so my work has been, as you said, with um, families, often families who have a loved one with mental, serious mental illness. And as a therapist, you know, I knew there were things that people don't disclose to therapists, but you just kind of figure out where, how much they want to disclose and maybe what they're not disclosing and try to deal with what's there. And then many years later, my own son was diagnosed with a serious mental illness, bipolar disorder, and co-occurring substance use disorder. So 
it was then and not until then that I realized what goes on behind the walls in people's homes that I did not learn as a professional. So uh, that's what, that was one of the things that gave us the impetus to put this book together. Right. Well, in your experience, both as a professional and as a parent, um, you know, really come through in terms of, you know, being able to understand when, when people come to your office or come to see you or talk about their story, you have a little bit more of a perspective now or a lot more perspective in terms of, you know, what that is. A whole lot more. It's like. very different seeing the day-to-day struggle that people uh, w- who live with mental illness go through every day uh, just to have a nice, stable life and um, just to keep going. So it was it was quite an eye-opener, in fact. Yeah, and, and part of the interviewing process, we saw how common it was that family, extended family members didn't really always comprehend what parents were going through. And the impetus for me um, to work with Ellen on this project was to explore this emotional journey that the parents go through. Um, and so to better support my sister, and my hope was that this product, this collection of stories could be useful for other parents to give to family members and say, this is what our family's going through. I can't really break it down for you because I'm in the middle of things, but read this and then, you know, hopefully this can help you to support us better. And um, it's true to form as we went and interviewed many, many people, not all of whom made it into the book, but it was a consistent uh, theme that uh, parents often didn't have either a spouse wasn't in the same place with acknowledging the illness or other family members, and so hopefully this book will help that aspect of the journey. Well, I'm sure for the people that were interviewed as well, I mean, um, this must have been really a life-changing experience in some way, being able to tell their story to such depth. That's interesting because that's what every single family reported to us, that it was very cathartic to tell their stories. We know that it is healing to hear the stories of others, and we know it is cathartic and healing to tell your stories, but this is what people told us. And often it was difficult to schedule people to talk with us. They, They would say, yes, no, yes, no, back out. And interestingly, only one father agreed to speak with us. He didn't much like it, but he said, I think this will help other fathers and other parents, too. So yeah. that was interesting. And, and truthfully, it was, it was absolutely life-changing for us as well, and probably me more so because I learned so much about parenting, an, as, an aspect of it that I could never have learned otherwise, and the strength of, of parental love um, as they move through this journey. It, it was truly... Um, a, a gift to you know to have met the people we met in interview. Ellen and I are completely and utterly grateful for their generosity. Well, I think it's really um, you know it's a tribute to the work that you did and how you approached it that you know uh, people were were comfortable sharing their lives so you know so intimately and um, you know what a what a great way to provide you know insight and support to families who maybe just. Just starting this journey, right? Right. Um, yeah. I realized as a parent, um, and forget about anything that I knew professionally, let's just <laughs> wipe that slate 
uh, clean. But as a parent, I realized I, I was able to get support through Westbridge Community Services. Uh, we, our family was able to have family education, learn about the medications, learn about uh, what to expect, all of so much support. We were able to ask any question of anyone at any time. But not everyone has access to an assertive community treatment team. They are uh, pretty Mm -hmm. much all over the country, but not every family has that nice access to this wraparound kind of service. Uh, So I realized that lots of families were feeling isolated, stigmatized, very, very alone, and almost paralyzed in their grief. So that was... um, Another reason to look at writing these stories and helping uh, other parents to see that they are not alone in these feelings. Right. Well, you know, I mean, you mentioned the word grief, and wow, I mean, that that is just such a powerful, it's a powerful emotion, and it's a really powerful statement about what families experience uh, in, in the course of coming to terms with what this illness can do. Yeah, definitely. And it's a, it's important to note that the grief that is experienced. Well, well, I mean, this is a family illness, so the grief that is experienced is experienced to some degree by every member. From you know the the siblings and the the family dynamic has changed, and there's different. You know, everybody processes grief differently. And throughout the stories, um, the person being interviewed will say, well, I was processing it this way, but my spouse was, it processes it this way. And it was very important, I think, particularly with um, Natalie and Delia talk at length about how they had to really work through understanding each other's process. And I think that's a very valuable um you know, the dialogue to have with your spouse when you're experiencing this kind of uh, of, a, of chaos in your home and changes. So we felt that was very useful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, you know, and certainly the stories here, they tell the truth about what people experience, but they also help to break down stigma. Right, and isn't that? You know, it seems to me that that's also part of the journey. Is how do you say, how do you get beyond sort of the secret of having a mental illness in your family, and, and mm-hmm. you know come to terms and go through the grief, and then um, you know, find your life in recovery. Yeah, right. I mean, we would all like to stay in denial because this is an illness unlike any other that you're you're just well unlike most others that your brain changes. Uh, you've lost this person to a mental illness, really, and, and he or she becomes a different person. And not only that, it is a lifetime illness. Even if they're in recovery, it's still, it threatens to have a relapse. So it's a lifetime illness, and we would all, as parents, like to be in denial. Uh, we yeah. have one parent, uh, Tessa. Her son is Riley, and he's one of the older He's, he is the oldest son uh, or the oldest ch- adult child in our book. And she said, once I came to terms with his mental illness, his whole world changed. So it took her a while, but she came to terms with it, and then they could finally mm-hmm. deal with what they were experiencing. Right. 
Well, isn't that, an, I mean, that's just such an interesting insight. It's like when I came to terms with it, his, yeah. his life changed because I was able to, you know, really put, put things into perspective for what they really were. Yeah. Right? That's amazing. I'm going to just read a quote to our listeners. Say an aside. I mean, sure. this is a woman who, it, she works so hard and she is an amazing individual and she's a fighter and, and um, she has such valuable insights all through about, you know, just the reality of, you know, you don't, anyway, I, I just, we were so impressed by her, um, her just deep dedication and, and dogged pursuit of finding solutions for her son. It was amazing. In yeah. fact, I think all the parents were our oh, heroes. Yes. There were times when it was difficult pushing through uh, the publication of this book, the editing was, you know, very difficult. Everything was kind of difficult. Um, but then we would think, oh, those parents, they're, they're our heroes, and we're kind of doing it for them. Yeah. Right. We very much were doing right. it for them. There was one point that um, that one of the stories was really hard, and uh, and I just kept thinking about I have to do it for this parent because at the end of every interview, you talked about, you, I think, Jonathan, you mentioned that the that or we talked about the telling of the whole story is actually a cathartic process. And actually, one of the one of the people that told the stories, one of the parents that told the story at the end, she said, "Gosh, no one has ever listened to my whole story." And Ellen and I were just so heartbroken that of that mm-hmm. thought. And um, yeah. And then at the end, and also, every person said please, this is really important, please uh, thank you so much for doing this. So that was yeah. our, a big impetus for us, too. Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's really clear that, you know, people are, are grateful to have that opportunity. And I'm just going to quickly read a quote here before we go to commercial. And, brick, and this is from your, the foreword in the book. Brick by brick, parents construct a wall that isolates them from community friends and acquaintances. And I think the opportunity for folks to tell their story and share their stories helps take some of those bricks down so that, you know, um, they're there as a support and resource to others. So when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking further about uh, what the the true story of mental illness is, as told by parents uh, uh, in the book Behind the Wall by Mary Woodfield and Ellen Woodfield. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. 
tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, good afternoon again, everybody. And thank you for tuning in to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And our two guests today are Mary Worthyfield and Ellen Woodyfield, who are co-authors of Behind the Wall, The True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. Uh, so again, Ellen and Mary, thank you for uh, for being here today. You know, um, the the collection of stories that you've put together uh, are a powerful statement about what it's like to have, uh, to have a child develop a mental illness. And, and I imagine... Uh, in the course of your interviews, uh, there were a lot of similarities in people's experience. Yes, it was very interesting. We interviewed parents of very different circumstances, of maybe a lot of education to very little education, intact families, divorced families, um, same-sex partners, all in you know various regions of the country where they got excellent care or very poor care. And what we found is the same themes came up for every family. So that was interesting. Um, One of the themes, of course, which we touched on before is grief because the person with the mental illness is grieving the loss of him or herself. And every family member is also grieving the loss of who that person was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every sibling uh, experienced, sibling of the person with mental illness experienced grief in a different way and acted out in a different way. Um, one example I would, I'm coming, uh, that comes to my mind right now is Thomas's, there's a um, Thomas who was about 19 when he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. His sister was really happy when he went away to college because she was no longer embarrassed about his so-called weird behavior so she could have her friends over. Yeah. Um, but then when he was, had to come home from college, um, she could no longer have her friends over. So there are stories like that. There's uh, Philip's twin brothers. Philip has, had schizophrenia and his brother made sure he got into a college that was across the country because mm-hmm. there was just so much chaos going on in the home. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the other theme is the next theme would be the chaos. There's so much chaos in the home and it becomes overwhelming and it's logistics of just getting day by day to day to day get very complicated. You can make plans and those plans really can be changed because of 
the illness and the behaviors. And then there's also isolation, right? Ellen, you want yeah. to speak about that? Yeah. I mean, every single parent talked about feelings of isolation, whether they didn't want to tell other family members, especially mm-hmm. not neighbors, acquaint- acquaintances and friends for various reasons, for they're embarrassed by the their loved one's uh, embarrassing, weird behaviors, or they felt that they were somehow at fault. They were the bad parents, so they didn't want to, um, you know, be judged in any way and isolated because maybe they couldn't find good care or they didn't know where to turn. Or they didn't know what was wrong with their child or what to do for their child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and there's no manual that says, "Oh, oh, by the way, when you see this, you know, uh, here, here are the next seven steps you should follow to get to the, you know, uh, yeah. to get things on track for your family, right? And often, uh, so if the child was starting to look like he, he or she was depressed or cutting or some other symptoms like that, now some of that mm-hmm. can be adolescent behavior or it can yep. be emerging serious mental illness, but often um, they would take their child to a therapist who said, oh, no, it just looks like adolescent behavior. And often the parents would say, well, no, this looks like a little more than adolescent angst to me. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of confusion in just trying to get some help. So you do feel isolated. And well, you, know, you we talked you've, about you've denial. We touched on denial, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is certainly, um, you can look at that as both as part of the grieving process, but also just sort of blind faith that things are just going to get, they're going to change, right? You, or you think about, okay, well, this is just a phase. This is, you know, something they're going to work through. They're just being an adolescent and not yeah, having really I, the, the broader context yeah. to see what it is. I think the denial ties in very tightly with the stigma of mental illness because you don't want to, a parent does not want to acknowledge that their child has a mental illness because of the stigma. Um, and that's another reason why we wanted to write these stories because that because when you address the mental illness, it, it, it's the best way to get better and there mm-hmm. is hope in recovery with early diagnosis. So, Right. You know, you both mentioned um, something really important, and I think that that uh, that doesn't get discussed a lot, and that's the role of siblings and extended family, and um, you know how uh, how mental illness affects them, and or what is it that they really, you know, what what is common uh, in families about how much information they share, or you know what the response is, and I think uh, you know, Ellen, you were talking about siblings, you know, kind of choosing to really separate themselves from this scenario and, and try to create some distance so that, you know, they, they weren't sort of um, painted with the same brush in terms of people's perceptions of right. them or, uh, I mean, really wanted to, to move away from the chaos. And I think that, that sounds like it's really common. Yeah, it is very common. I, I believe the siblings do need to take care of themselves and move on with their own lives, but at the same time, uh somehow have a discussion with their family um, and hope maybe hopefully with a family therapist who can help the family to come to terms with, okay, this is what we're looking at. Um, 
this is the help that we need from you and the help that we need from you and the help that we need from you. And, um, but, but also allow the sibling to move on with his or her life too because they don't need to be mired in it. So it's a kind of a tricky thing. Yeah. They feel guilty. They feel, you know, oh, maybe I'll get this mental illness. Or they feel embarrassed or ashamed. So or, there's all kinds of feelings. Yes, and or angry because that individual is getting so much attention and that their own needs are not being made. I mean, it's, it's, it's so yeah. complex. And even Jenna, um, Esme said of her daughter, because she was focused so much on Jennifer that she, she says, well, we neglected our other daughter. I mean, you know, we didn't neglect her, but we kind of did because we were so focused on Jennifer's illness and all that was going on with her. Yeah. Yeah, and there when you're talking about an illness if, that... If a child, let's say, has a cancer, a very serious illness, of course the family's going to focus in on this ill person. And it's very similar, similar dynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thing is, you're probably not embarrassed. You don't have the shame. So, and you're not worried about the person doing some embarrassing things in public. This is the difference in the family dynamics here. Right, right. Well, and, and, you know, nowadays you expect the cancer to be gone at some point. Right. And with mental illness, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. And so that that can feel like a, you know, a really uh difficult thing for, you know, for a youngster to to grapple with, you know, as a sibling to say, you know, this is how my life is now and it's going to be this way for, you know, possibly forever. So, um Yeah. Yeah. Uh my own son who is not affected by mental illness said about his brother, he said I've lost my best friend. Uh but as soon as our son got into good recovery, he recently said to me, I've got my brother back. I've got my brother back. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, it, but it wow. took a while. It was a long, jagged journey. Um, yeah. And he feels sad he's missed out. Both of them feel sad they've missed out on years, but especially the older one who's not affected by mental illness. He said, I've lost um, 10 years of my, you know, having a brother, and I felt really envious of other people who had their siblings. Yeah. Did you find in your interviews that a lot of parents were really um, conscious about trying to shield their, their uh, you know, their children who, didn't, who were not affected by an illness uh, you know, from what was going on? Yes. I think there was very little discussion they were trying to make everything normal, and of course, uh, especially if the person has mental illness with substance use disorder, obviously things were not normal. Things were pretty chaotic, but it seems you're right. There was a shielding, a kind of let's be normal kind of thing, and it, it really wasn't working well. Yeah. Well, I would imagine it's hard to, to you know, uh, to feel like you've got to live two lives. Um, you're supporting one who's got an illness and, you know, trying to keep things as, um, you know, quote-unquote typical as possible for the one who doesn't have an illness. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think as a lot of folks are aware, I mean, the illness takes over for a long time, or it can. Yeah, but, you know, the other thing is that during all that chaos, we found it interesting that every 
single interview that we did, at some point the parent said, well, there's a bunch of other stuff, but it's all a blur. And that just says everything about what their experience is, is that so many things happen. And so I think that they, they weren't even, they weren't even um, able to think about what, what they're shielding the other children or child from because it was just so much of a blur. They're just, they're just in the yeah. middle of all this maelstrom of trying to get help, trying to figure out where to go, trying to, you know, try to manage the day-to-day. Where is this child now? You know, so that was... I thought that was very interesting, um, you know, that that's the experience that these families go through, that it was just the blur. Yeah, it's often yeah. in telling the story, they would confuse times and places and uh, the order of things, and then they would say, well, I don't know, it was all blur, it's hard to remember. So in, in some ways we don't want to remember, but in some ways we can't because it's it's chaotic. Yeah. Well, and that really does speak to, you know, what you mentioned as a theme, which is confusion and there's no, uh, there's just not a great ability to predict how things are going to evolve, um, you know, particularly when somebody is uh, first experiencing the illness. And um, and so that's, that certainly put, places families at, uh, you know, at a disadvantage in terms of really being able to, um, you know, plan and, and know what's, what might be coming up because things yeah, can take such right, a great terribly different courses. So when we come back from our next break, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, what families have shared about their experience of uh, having, a, having a child with a mental illness, and uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes after the break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon and welcome back to One Hour at a Time, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and I'm here with our guests today, Ellen Whittyfield and Mary Whittyfield, who are sharing in the stories from their book, Behind the Wall, The True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. Uh, you know, before the break, we, we spent some time talking about what are some of the common themes that parents uh, shared in, in their stories, and they were, you know, they were themes of grief, chaos, isolation, um, confusion, and, uh, you know, and some of the difficulties that are associated with finding out you have a loved one with a mental illness. But at some point, uh, you know, families who, who were telling their story also began to realize that uh, there, was some, there was room for hope and there was room for recovery. And so we now turn our, our discussion to, uh, you know, the, 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 the upside of, um, you know, learning to come to terms with, having a child with a mental illness. So, Helen and Mary, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, as we've read through the book and, uh, you know, looked at some of the stories, there's some really powerful, you know, examples of, of people uh, finding hope and learning to live their lives, uh, you know, despite the challenges that, that they faced with having a child with a mental illness. Yeah, so I think getting to hope is maybe the more difficult part. How do you find hope. I think in some cases, hearing the stories of others, reading the stories of others gives us hope, gives everyone hope. In some cases, you might have, you might be fortunate to have a very good therapist who can tell you and show you there is hope for recovery. So in whatever way you get there, um, you have to just, I believe the parents have to hold on to that hope, just hold on to the hope until the person with the mental illness is ready to take that on and move of his own volition. But until then, I think the family needs to hold the hope for that person because they're, <laughs> that's what's going to help the person, the person with the mental illness to uh, gain the hope and uh, move forward of his own volition. So that said, we also have to say that recovery is different for every person. Um, Mary, right. do you want to tell the story about Stella in our book? Well, Stella um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and she had anxiety, and I believe OCD too, right, Al? Yeah. In, the, in, in her younger years, and then when she was in high school, she started hearing voices, and she um, would tell her mother that, oh, you're not my real mother, there's a, you know, there's, there's a chip in my head, and it was very scary for these parents hearing that this child is, you know, going through this. And they later found out that her, their daughter was having actually more terrifying thoughts and voices coming to the head that, that they were really grateful that they got her into treatment because it was very frightening for this young girl. Mm-hmm. So what they, they did get her into treatment, and um, she was very academic. And when she became ill, 
obviously her brain changes and her academics where she had been in high level academics, she had to step back and basically rebuild her identity as an academic and had to work harder to get to the same place. But the truth, but she did. They kept working. They were supportive of her. They gave her time. They gave her what she needed, and it was very lucky. Um, And she ended up um, getting to college. They weren't sure she was going to graduate from high school, but she graduated. And this is what the father says. He says, we weren't sure. We were holding our breath that she could get through high school. Then we were holding our breath that she could get into a college, and they were holding her our breath that she could stay in college, and as it turned out, she she was able to stay in college. And even so, there was a weekend there that she was feeling stressed and unwell, and she had been um, supported well in, in a good communication with her parents, and, and largely this is coming from her, too, that she commuted well, communicated well with parents, I'm not well, and they... She went to the hospital. It turned out that the hospital couldn't treat her, which is not an unusual scenario. But the point mm-hmm. being is that she, her form of recovery is that she knows that sometimes she will be unwell and she needs to take a time and rest and get herself back um, healthy again. And she's very fortunate. And um, everybody's recovery looks different, though. I don't know if I right. told that story And well I, I have to add that not only is she in college, she's in a very prestigious university with um, getting an engineering degree. And wow. she was a- able to live in the dorms and make friends. So yeah. this, is, this is recovery. Yeah. And right. There are great stories like this. Sometimes recovery means um, the person is able to go to the clubhouse there's a clubhouse move, international clubhouse movement, and they may be able to go to the local clubhouse and smoke cigarettes and socialize, and that's what recovery is for now until they can get right. some job training. I think Bianca tells a great story about what recovery looks like. She says, you know, her son um, Miguel has schizophrenia, and there was a period of time where he was walk, he was homeless, and he was seeing, you know, signs and he wasn't, he was um, having a thought, you know, delusional thinking and and mm-hmm. he went from there to now he's holding, he lives part-time on his own and he holds, you know, part-time, does part-time work and he knows when he's getting unwell and communicates, I'm getting unwell and I need to change my meds. And he and she says she's very smart. She says, "Look, look at the progress. Where was he a month ago? Where was he a year ago?" And he's made tremendous progress. And I think he's inspiring for for how hard he works to stay healthy. And it yeah. is an amazing story. So I think that's what's very hopeful. Is I, as I said to Ellen, I've said, you know, the mere fact that these parents sit down and tell us the story that they've been through all they've been through, and they're here to say, there's hope. There's hope. And I think that says a lot. And I wonder if any, you know, if there were common uh, aspects for the parents that, you know, that were interviewed uh, and family members that really helped them get to that place. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, um, you know, a quote from, uh, from Stella's dad, I believe, uh, you know, Dan, it says, you know, we understand now that mental illnesses are physiological. A lot of parents probably feel, quote, what is it that I've done? I've made my mistakes yeah. as a parent, but I don't think those mistakes caused her illness. And, you know, that's, 
that's a point there for, for a parent to be reaching too in their own recovery is being able to say, okay, I didn't cause this. This is, you know, there's more to the story here than just, you know, what I did or didn't do as a parent. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yes, I have to say in Stella's case, she had, she has two parents who both, neither one was ever in denial. And as they say, they were fortunate that Stella also did not self-medicate with alcohol or drugs, so there was not an issue there. And they also said, we're in a good area for treatment. We were very fortunate, and we got her in early because they yeah. knew right away what they were looking at. Um, right. So not every young adult or adolescent is as fortunate to have parents who are on the same page at the same time and also be in a very uh, er- an area where there is also very good treatment for schizophrenia or uh, uh, other serious mental illnesses. So all right. of that came together for excellent recovery. Right. Yeah, and Jonathan, you bring up a really... We were just talking about this, the, the aspect of, of how so many parents feel guilty for their child's illness, and yeah. it's... It's just hard. It's sort of, we do so much as parents we do for our children. It's hard not to feel guilty for some illness or something. But, um, you know, the more education we can get out there, and even very, people who know that the illness is not caused by something that the parent did, it's still hard for them to reconcile that, um, even knowing it. So I, I think that's a really important message is that, you did not cause this. You're, and that's what Bianca says. You did not cause this. This is something right. that happened, and it's not fair. Right. Exactly. Well, I think that's just a, such an important thing for parents to be able to really feel on the inside and, and you know, and be able to acknowledge for themselves that, um, you know, mental illnesses are their brain illnesses that, you know, have got a, a number of things that have to come together in order for them to, right. to really express. And, um you know, stress is one of them. You know, heredity is one of them. Substance abuse is another. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of things that, mm-hmm. that you know, that influence uh, a young person's brain. And, right. Uh, and hopefully these stories, you know, can help other families be able to say, you know, okay, well, look, this is something that's going on. It's out of our control. And, and we have to just be okay with the fact that it's not in our control. But there are things yeah. that we can do to be helpful. And um, there are things we need to do to take care of ourselves. So that we can. Yeah, and that's, we try to emphasize the self care and ask each parent what they do to take care of themselves and to cope with all of this. Some, some, uh, many parents found a lot of support through NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I teach the family to family class, which I think is very informative class. It's a 12 week class that um, is sponsored by NAMI. And it's for anyone who has a loved one with mental illness. Um, I think that's been a great support, or there's books out there, our book. There's support groups, uh, therapists. There's hopefully, if you have in your community, assertive community treatment, that is the evidence-based treatment that I would hope every person, every family can um, get into. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of uh, supports out there. People need to just reach out. And Mary was saying this morning 
She said, let's remember to say people just need to ask for what they need. Yeah. That's one thing Ellen and her husband were brilliant about because at the end of the day, people want to help other people. But when you learn that a friend of yours or a loved one's child has a mental illness, maybe you're not so sure what that means or what to do. And Ellen and her husband were in the middle of all this, and they they weren't necessarily able to call everybody, but they sent out an email and said to all the family and said, here's what's happening. And what that enabled our family to do is it enabled us to come to terms with what was happening on our on our own way. And then and and then she would say things like, you know, send an email, or you know, you can write to him, or. And, or you can do this for us. And I think that is one of the best, most valuable things uh, parents can do for their own family when they're going through it. And, and we right. realize that not all families are supportive, so hopefully you have one or two friends in the community, or you can make new friends through NAMI or through support groups or through an ACT and make find your own supports and, and ask for help, but don't, don't forget to take care of yourselves too because right. it's not it can't be all about this ill person it right. really we it, lots of lots of uh parents told us about these new hobbies they've created um like two of the parents actually ride motorcycles that's their yeah, new that's hobby right. <laughs> so whatever <laughs> whatever keeps you happy that's right well i think you know your your um your efforts are you know going to inspire others to uh you know to find new ways to reach out and when we come back after the break i think it'd be it'd be really great to talk a little bit more about how families can connect to each other and then other outside supports uh again so they can better take care of themselves and be in a position to really be supportive to their family member who has the illness so we'll be back in a couple minutes after the break Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And welcome back to One Hour Time, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And our guests today are Mary Woodfield and Ellen Woodfield. And we're talking about their book, Behind the Wall, The True Story of Mental Illness as Told by Parents. Uh, so Ellen and Mary, um, you know, I'd imagine in the course of, of interviewing uh, so many families uh, to, you know, to put this collection of great stories together, um, there were some things that, uh, that the people shared so, you know, to maybe help another family shortcut some of the pain that they experienced. Um, and, I, and here on, in your book on page 246, we have the eight bits of advice from behind-the-wall parents. Yes. So it's, it's very basic advice, like just be honest with yourself and your child. Trust your gut. Don't be ashamed about a mental illness. Be informed and allow time and space for grieving. Don't blame yourself or anyone else. Uh, find a method for coping that best fits you and your family. And mm-hmm. stay connected, meaning stay connected to your loved one who has a mental illness. Yeah. So those and are the pieces of advice that we got from parents. Which of those felt, you know, sort of most um, striking to you in terms of you know, how people can help take care of themselves? Uh, I think actually all of them, but I think finding what fits for you and your family, a hobby maybe that you and your family can all do together, even if you have still you have adult children and we know it's difficult to get everybody together if everybody's at work. And But if, if the family likes to ski or the family likes to go hiking or they like to swim or go kayaking, try to do some things that fit for your family. They don't have to be um, big activities like that. They could be putting uh, together a a jigsaw puzzle or something, but something that everyone can do together and interact and be a family together. Definitely. I I personally, I really, Jonathan, I loved the one of staying connected with um, the loved one who has the illness because... I just felt like, you know, even if they weren't wanting to get get into recovery, they weren't ready to get in recovery, just having that little voice in the back of their head knowing that somebody supported them and loved them no matter what was really, it resonated with me very deeply. So I love that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was one of our favorites too. I have to agree. Yeah, I, it's really, I mean, it really speaks to the fact that when you, you know, when your child has a mental illness, your relationship changes. And, um, you know, here, I mean, at Westbridge, we often, you know, help try to help families to be able to say, you know, we'll take on the crisis response now. You know, you can just sort of yeah. mm-hmm. you know, try try to establish some some norms again as a family, and you know, having game night or, you know, um, you know, just finding some things to do together that aren't about taking care of the illness. It's it's more about just taking care of the relationship. Um, yeah. You know, it uh, seems like uh, it's really important to families. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also in the back of the book, we have a, quest- a parent questionnaire. We asked every parent um, standard, we standardized the questions, and yep. we decided to put those questions in the book 
so that parents who read this book can then kind of take themselves through this emotional journey on their own. We ask questions about what, what their child was like during childhood, what the journey was like, the diagnosis, um, how have the family relationships changed, and then treatment, uh, questions such as uh, does my child understand his illness and treatment options, and is there open communication? Then we, we have questions about recovery, and then coping and a new normal, which we, we spend a a good deal of time on coping and the new normal because we want to uh, aim this book at parents finding a new normal and learning healthy ways to cope with what yeah. all that has happened in their family. Right. So it's questions like, in what specific ways do I take care of myself? Is there a person in my life who understands the difficulties associated with associated with parenting a child who lives with a brain disorder, and do they provide support? We, we recommend finding at least one or two people who can be supportive. Right. And sometimes that's somebody outside of your family, right? Somebody who's been yeah, there before or somebody is. that's, you know, a, a um, clergy or, you know, a spiritual guide, but just somebody that you can just call in and say, I'm just having a lousy day, you know, yeah. and someone who, who understands what it is that you're going through. I, right. th- I think Dan yeah. and Stella were great because they acknowledge, you know, Dan says, you, um, sorry, Dan and Rebecca, you know, Dan says to Rebecca, you deal with this differently. You have your close-knit friends, you know, from your church, and I, and you can talk with them. I personally don't want to talk about it. I, I'm just done with talking about it. That's not how I cope. And I think he was, that's not how he copes. So I thought that was a very important point that you have to figure out really what's healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's different for everybody. Yep. What's yeah, not, it's not a one size yeah. you know, one size fits all kind of thing. Yes. Right. 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 So, um, I mean, it must be really uh, incredible to, for the two of you to have this book be in print and and ready to go. And uh, yes. Uh, you know, what, what what's the feeling like for you now to you know to be to be able to share this with so many others? Oh, it's so exciting because every time we go to a book signing, we get all kinds of questions we, from the audience. That, you know, we run out of time, really, and people come up to us with their own stories about their children. Um, well, that's, I'm speaking for myself. What about you, Mary? Um, I think what is the most important thing to me is that people come up and say thank you. So, I mean, that, there it is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it, you know. I had a person yeah. who came up to, uh, we, we did a, a reading in, at the North Carolina beach at one of the beaches, and we had a pretty good turnout, and someone came up to me and said, he's an engineer, and he has never really looked at emotions, but this book touched him deeply. And I thought that was one of the best compliments we got. Yeah. Wow. And that yeah, felt that's very powerful. really good. <laughs> that's, that's really great. So, yeah. um, so you've got some other book signings coming up, I understand. Yes. Uh, yes. Share those with our listeners. We're, we'll be in San Francisco tomorrow night at the San Francisco NAMI. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then the, in the, New the, Jersey. We're going to be in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, with the NAMI in New Jersey is doing a luncheon on Monday the 28th. You can find all of our uh, events um, on our website, actually. It's on the front page, there's a link to it. And we have one, uh, the two in New Jersey are the 20th. 
27th and 28th of mm-hmm. uh, okay. September. We'll be in New Jersey okay. at Wachung Booksellers in Mon- Montclair, New Jersey. We both grew up in New Jersey, so we're happy to be back there. Oh, great. Then what is the website? Go ahead, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. com. All one word, BehindTheWallStories. BehindTheWallStories.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you'll see all our great. events. You'll see how to buy the book. Um, and you'll see we have our Twitter information on there. We also have a um, blog so people have been following our blog and Twitter, and we have a Facebook page as well. Fantastic. Terrific. Well, um, you know, thank you both, again, for the work that you've put into, um, you know, really telling the story and sharing the stories, uh, you know, of parenting somebody with a mental illness. It's been great having you both on the show today. Uh, and, uh, you know, we look forward to maybe having you back again at some other time. I want to thank all our great. listeners for tuning Thanks. in today. And I would encourage everybody to check out BehindTheWallStories.com uh, where you can uh, find out more about... Uh, um, the book Behind the Wall, The True Story of Mental Illness is Told by Parents. Thanks again. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.